How's it, guys? Thanks for tuning in for this week. You're here with me, Nick, and as always, my buddy Ronnie's here. I'm looking like a bit of a moron this evening with my lacquer cap tan. I've managed to Captain actually... Nick. Yeah, Captain Nick over here. I'm very, very sunburnt. Managed to finish the eight mile this week and surprised myself a little bit with that one. But yeah, managing collectively to raise 2.8 million rand for charities, various charities, which I think was was very special. And it was the 50th Midmar, and to see the guy that came up with Midmar swim his 48th one at the age of 90 was unbelievable. So a lacquer weekend for me down really. in the Midlands. Congratulations. So you didn't just swim eight, you swam nine miles, is that right? Yeah, correct. I then swam with my cousin and some friends on, on Saturday as well. That's always a good How one. was that last one? The last one was much better because, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have another seven coming after it. But funny enough, Rudy actually managed to find me in the middle of the dam and he grabbed my leg mid-swim. We had like a chat, but we carried on finishing the race. But pretty cuck weather in the Midlands though, Ronnie. Pouring with rain. Well, we had, we had terrible weather this side as well, but yeah. Was it, was it raining up in Pretoria the whole week? It's raining this whole eastern side of the country and my parents as well. A bit of flooding going on home, so we'll keep an eye on that. Shit, eh? Yeah, some some interesting weather there. And that weather leading to some interesting rugby as well. Six Nations was on this weekend. It was the only rugby that was on. Very big start with France versus Ireland. Ireland getting a 32-19 win over France at home. You know, France won that fixture last year in France. So I think it was was a fitting victory. But a bit of controversy in that game, eh, Ronnie? I hear what you're saying. I actually didn't watch the whole game. I watched the highlights. And, and, and the problem with watching highlights is it's exactly that. It's all the highlights. Uh, so, but I did manage to get into a bunch of forums on the interweb. And I saw I saw people complain about Wayne Barnes from both sides. And, uh, you know, when you, when you see something like that, when both teams are complaining that the ref was biased, then was the ref really biased? Yeah, to be honest with you, I wasn't upset about his officiating except the one incident, the actually two incidents, but the one I only realized at the time was that he only gave a yellow card to Cyril Bai for that heavy high tackle. I mean, that was clear contact with a shoulder to a head and how Barnsley only gave a yellow surprises me a little bit. I don't know if that's so much a problem with Barnes, but that's a, that's a lack of consistency between all refs. So, you know, one ref's very strict, another ref's more lenient. And I don't actually mind that too much. I think that inconsistency amongst the refs adds to a little bit of more strategy and more, more, more planning required from the management of a, of a rugby team. But obviously, saying that, you know, when, when it goes against your team and the rub of the green doesn't go against your team, uh, it sucks. Yeah, so we'll you... prob- I'll probably complain about it later on. Today, not so much. You know, when it happened, I was grateful that he didn't get a red card because you don't want to see the contest be ruined. But the problem is, like you said, it's that consistency. In any other game, that would have been a red card. And I've seen Barnes give red cards for that. That was a high impact. And Cyril Bayer is a very large human. I mean, that was a heavy, heavy contact. And it was definitely a red card offense. There's no doubt about it. I'm sure we'll hear from Nigel Owens in the week as well that it was a red. The other incident was the James Lowe try. Now, when I watched that live, I did Mm. think it was a try. The TMO angles, you know, didn't show what came out later. I have posted it up to punted foot or still, and you can clearly see James Lowe's foot is in touch. So not actually a try when you look at it, but I mean, the the ref didn't have access to those stills. He just had what the TMO showed it. 
Yeah, it's because unfortunate. Um, I saw a lot of people on the internet also complain about the sort of directors, the Irish camera directors or, or visual directors purposefully not putting that that visual on on the display. And obviously, it came out afterwards after the tribe been awarded and everyone had moved on. Then that that still image of the foot in touch came out. So, to what extent are do the directors and 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 the camera people actually, you know? To what extent are they held accountable for the outcome of the game? It's, but, um, it's unfortunate. We did speak about this last year because I complained about it after the Springboks played France, a game in which a red card was actually given to the Springboks. So it's definitely a thing that's starting to creep into the game where the, the TV crew on the day have quite a marked influence in, in what's going on. And maybe it's time World Rugby looks to actually regulate that because at the moment that's free reign to show what you want on the screens in the stadium it's not actually officially part of the officiating absolutely they should become the fifth referee or the or the sixth referee if you will and um, you know they should be bound to show to show at least the tmo match official or a second tmo all the angles that that are available to them no, that's definitely true. I think it needs to be looked at a little bit. But ultimately, I think Ireland did no one any favors by winning this game. I think, as Matt said on last week's episode, you know, France, they don't really concern themselves with winning the Six Nations. But this would have made France hungry and maybe Ireland a bit cocky. So if anything, this has made France a stronger team heading to the World Cup, if you ask me. Well, I can't exactly remember what I said in last week's podcast, but I think I agreed that Ireland would beat France, but France will still go on to win the Six Nations. And I think this is exactly that. They've they've just been humbled a little. And like you say, it makes them a little bit more dangerous going further into the tournament. No, for sure. And then another game that's starting to make me think a little bit about the World Cup, Scotland 35-7 victory over Wales. Now, we've got Scotland in our pool alongside Ireland at the World Cup, and they're really jamming some exciting rugby at the moment. I mean, as South African, another two tries for Kyle Stain. Last week was Duan. This week was Kyle Stain. You know, they'd have more South Africans in their team if, if, if rugby had more wings on the team. So, I mean, Kyle Stain, look, comes from Joburg, ran Park Ridge, and found his way into the Scottish team through his grandmother. And, you know, now he's performed. He, he scored a, a scintillating try. And then Duan, obviously, as well. Duan, for me, you know, I, I've, I think I said this to you. I don't know if I said it on the podcast. I never actually considered Duan to be a Springbok contender ever. Or, you know, if he was back in South Africa, I wouldn't have considered him. But he's proving me wrong, and I have to eat humble pie because he's an exceptional player. Yeah, he, he really is. And, I mean, another South African stepping up in, in addition to the ones already plying their trade for the Scots. But also impressive, impressive stuff from Finn Russell. I actually have some stats here just to read off. He got 20 kicks in that game, 25 passes, 28 meters made, 10 points, and three try assists. That's what you want from a 10, hey? Popping his players into space, being the guy that's drawing defenders, and Finn Russell did it beautifully. That one offload was sexy as fuck. That's the only way you can Which one was that? that? The one out wide? Yes, it was. I looked at that and I thought it was risky behavior because he had Duan immediately on his left. And I thought Duan was strong enough to to rumble over the try line. So instead, what he did is he floated a pass out to the wing, which I agree looked very sexy. But the reality is those, those passes often travel forward and then are given as a forward pass. So I think whilst I agree that was that was 
confidence or border bordering on arrogance really to send it out wide like that but it worked out so well done to him i thought perhaps the right choice would have been just a pop to do one who would have crashed it over yeah well either way it ended in a try and finn russell really after his fallout last year with the coaching staff seems to have come back strong for scotland and he's really pulling the strings nicely and they really are starting to look like a dangerous unit that's their best start in the six nations so far i mean They've racked up a victory over England last week. They've won Wales now. I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a worry for the World Cup. It's definitely a worry. It is a concern because the last thing I want to see is the Springboks out in the pool stages. You know, I'm actually, yeah, maybe maybe Scotland can do us a favour and take Ireland out of the pool stages and instead of us. But yeah, well done to Scotland. That was exceptional play. Very a little bit worrying for, the, for Wales, though. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not looking good for Wales. No, I think they were hoping that they would get Gatland in there and it would suddenly turn around very quickly. And it really hasn't. I mean, that was an implosion from Wales. They they really didn't bring much to that contest. And Scotland ate them ate them up alive through the whole contest. Quite surprising. I heard that this is the best ever start for Scotland in the Six Nations. You know, they've never won their first two games in the Six Nations, which I thought was, was unbelievable, really. I didn't think that that was possible. But it is their best two for two. So well done to Scotland. And full house log points. They've got bonus points in each fixture. So yeah, right up there with, with the Irish on the top of the log at 10 points. Um, Scotland really, really, really playing well. Wales need to find something that they can pull out a victory in their remaining fixtures because it's looking bleak there. And then Sunday's game, England 31-14 win over Italy. You know, first win for the English under Steve Borthwick now. Bit of a an interesting fixture. I see the commentators and Harry actually remarked it on, on our boys group. You know, the commentators seem to be watching a different game. Speaking of this England team like they were giant slayers. And I'm sorry, a 31-14 victory at home at Twickenham over Italy is, is not the biggest thing to celebrate. I want to disagree with you there. I think England struggled, obviously, in recent games. Um, but Italy's played exceptionally well. And if we if we say that it's not impressive, it's not an impressive win over Italy, I think we're doing the Italians a disservice because they have really been playing well. No, I have to give you that. Italy has really been playing well. But the way that the English commentators were talking about him, this this game, it sounded like they were playing the All Blacks or the Springboks or Ireland or something. Right. That, that's, so that's... You're, you're, taking ex- you're taking exception with, with, with the way the commentators were hyping this game up correct or this win correct because england have a lot of work to do so i mean it was a try on debut for henry arundel there which was quite good capuoso for italy was evasive as ever i mean running that ball from fullback he is unbelievable but interesting and i want to chat about this a little bit for me was that ollie lawrence came in at 12 he got the man of the match today but they broke up marcus smith owen farrell 10 12 combo and then the new 12 gets man of the match. What do you make of that, Ronnie? Yeah, I think it's hard luck for Marcus Smith. It's it's a little bit unfortunate because I don't see them omitting Owen Farrell, you know, as a regular starter. So if 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 they've got a new 12, then it's normal to assume or it's natural to assume that Owen is unfortunately going to take back the 10 jersey, unless they think he might ply his trade at 13, which I don't believe. And it just makes it unfortunate for Marcus Smith. But look, Marcus Smith is still young. He's still got a couple of World Cups in him. So maybe this isn't his year. And uh, the next cycle will be where he features. But it's a little bit it's a little bit unfortunate for, for old Marcus. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they give it another chance, that 10-12 combo, because it's been 
quite a a big talking point in the media. And I don't know, I think there is potential there, but not enough for it to win a World Cup. And I think Oli Lawrence's performance shows that they're better served with someone else in the 12 channel. I think uh, I think the chat with Matt Proudfoot changed my opinion a little bit last week. So I think uh, the teams that are looking at rebuilding during the Six Nations, those are the ones that we're really going to have to look out for. I mean, Matt did say that Ireland is is saturated. It's already at a level, so we know what's coming. We can prepare accordingly. England, I still think, are are a bit of a dark horse, and I, I think that Steve Borthwick's going to do something magical there. Maybe not as magical as someone like Eddie Jones would have. So I see them coming up a little bit stronger, and and perhaps the move for Owen Farrell back to 10 is, is what's required. And um, yeah, I kind of lost my chain of thought there, but I'll leave it at that. Yeah, well, we're going to have to pay quite good attention to to what's coming up from England in the remaining Six Nations fixtures. It'll be quite telling. And then, Ronnie, as bizarre as we've spoken about it many times, the URC is back this weekend for a round of fixtures. So it's mostly home clashes. The Lions will be hosting the Sharks at Ellis Park and the Bulls will be hosting the Stormers there at Loftus. I don't think the Northern Hemisphere internationals are available to play this week, if I'm correct. Yeah, no, that's a question mark for me as well. I don't think so. They'll definitely be in a training camp, though, especially some of these teams that I think the likes of England, they'll need to find some stability. So I don't think they'll release their players. You know, France obviously losing. They'll want to retain their players in the camp. Ireland's obviously looking for for maximum points throughout the season. So they're not going to release everyone. And, and Wales desperately need their players. And then obviously Italy as well, right? I mean, they could have Benetton players, but they're doing so well that they're going to want to keep them close and see if they can work some magic for, for when the Six Nation carries on next week, right? Yeah, so I think maybe they might release some of the fringe players that haven't played in any of the last two games, but I don't think you're going to see any of your big-name internationals going on in the Prem or the Top 14 or, or even the URC at the moment. All right, guys. Our next guest is one of rugby's most well-traveled players. He's played Super Rugby, Prem Rugby, URC, and Heineken Cup. We're joined now by former Wallaby, Ben Tapawai. Ben, thanks for coming on this afternoon. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's good to be able to catch up with you guys. I've had a little bit of a break now between Heineken Cup, URC, and with the Six Nations going on. What have you been getting up to? Yeah, so, uh, no, it's it's been a busy, busy part of the year, I guess, from... Probably from the whole of December and the whole of Jan is probably your your main core part of of your games where it's like just consecutive in a row. So it's good to have kind of the week off. My family back in New Zealand, so I've been uh, I've got a wife and two kids over here, but they're just visiting family over there. So because it's it's well it's holiday season over here too. But my yeah, so my um, my wife and all that back in New Zealand. So I've just kind of been living the bachelor life for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Having a lot of bribes, that right? Having a lot of bribes. I've been invited to about twenty five bribes and played about <laughs> four days on, a, on four days of golf, which I never do when my family's here. So now I'm just um, I'm just enjoying that time, I guess, because um, when 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 they come when when they come, it's it's all mayhem after that. So. Now I'm just trying to get it in. Yeah, well, talking about your family being overseas, you've obviously, you've played in Australia, you've played over in the UK for, for Harlequins and for Bath, and now you're in South Africa. I mean, it's quite a vast change. I'm sure here's as close to Australia as you've been so far. But I mean, how has it been adapting to to life in Durban? It's hot. I tell you that much. It's, um, 
it's uh, no, it's it's to be honest. I think I think when when this kind of opportunity came up after Harlequins, it was just a matter of so my wife and I we we actually we actually love to travel. That was kind of the main reason why we left to the UK in the first place. But then as you go away, we had Harrison over there, and it was like if there was any time to have a child. 2020 was not the time to have a child if you were foreigner. <laughs> yeah, that must have been quite um, difficult. So, yeah, it was tough because we had Harrison, but no family could travel over from New Zealand. Um, so my wife's from New Zealand, I'm from Australia. My actual background is Samoan, so my family moved over to moved over to, to Australia before I was born, and they settled there. So they, I'm second youngest of five, five kids. So yeah, I've come from I come from a big family oriented group. So when we had when we had Harrison over back in England, I yeah, I mean I didn't think that my it was gonna be in lockdown. Uh, you know, I didn't usually paint pictures first time parents, but you know, it was just it, at that time it just it is what it was. But yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty it was pretty challenging. I, I guess as as first time parents, um, yeah. So going back to the question, we we love traveling and we love. You know, seeing parts of the world, and I'm, I'm grateful that rugby is taking me part. So when this, when we finished up at Harlequins, and this opportunity came through, we're actually just going to settle back in New Zealand, only because uh, you know my wife kind of needed family around. Harrison, he just turned one and hadn't met any family yet, so it was quite, it was quite challenging. But then we we went back to New Zealand, and I think we just figured out that we just love living life on the road, to be honest. Yeah. So we took this opportunity and, you know, to be honest, it's such a beautiful country here and, and the people are so nice. It's, it's such, it's just, it's just a different feel to England. And we loved our time in England. Like we, it, it was probably one of the best experiences as well, but we were over there for five years. So we kind of adapted along the way in terms of what the culture like was there. And just in terms of living, living away from family, sorry, just in terms of like living abroad you you're always going to miss out on things like sacrifices in terms of you know just special occasions weddings birthdays and stuff back home that you you can't you're not going to fly 24 hours to yeah, go yeah. celebrate yeah i suppose coming to south africa where the weather's possibly a little bit better than the uk you could say some good yeah. buys around and uh, like no, i say it's a, it's a sport it's sport crazy country so possibly a little yeah. bit easier to settle yeah no no 100% yeah, the one thing the South Africans are mad about is they're mad about their rugby, aren't they? Gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, that was actually what I wanted to ask you because you've played in so many countries. How do the, the sort of game day atmospheres change? You know, is it is it the same across the board or is it drastically different? Yeah. I guess I guess in 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 different parts of England. So in England, football is the number one sport. Like you you don't you whenever even the guys that Fast and that guys at Harlequins. When you go into the changing room locker, there's not much talk about rugby. There is a little bit about rugby, but everyone's talking about football. Everyone's talking about who's transferred to what, who's transferred to this, what team you play for. Guys give stick about what teams they go for and all that stuff. So, coming from Australia, it was a bit of bit of different, I guess, locker room chat. But I actually adapted to it. I actually got involved in. Not, I wouldn't say involved, but I actually started watching football a lot just because it, it was always on TV. And, you know, I actually picked a side and just, you normally pick a side that's kind of right near you, but I picked a side that was like two hours away. And apparently that's not the thing to do, but because I was a foreigner, <laughs> I actually didn't care. 
who did you end up supporting? Um, but yeah, I guess. But in 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 terms, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Okay. When when I started Barrowford, they were like one of the bottom teams in the Prem. Now they're actually doing alright. They're mid table, mid to top table, but they're. I didn't want to pick like a very popular team because then everyone would just be like, oh, you just jump on the wagon, did you? So I actually yeah. picked one of the teams that was in the last kind of two or three. So, yeah, so that, that's that's pretty much. But in terms of like uh, the stadiums and the atmosphere around the UK, the stadiums are they're only about 15, 12, 15,000 people. So it's very it's a very small capacity stadium, but they're pretty much sold out week in, week out. If that yeah. makes sense, yeah. I wouldn't say like not every game sold out, but majority of the season, like depending what club you are as well, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty sold out. So, how do I explain the Prem? It's like I say this, it's like a glorified club rugby. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. So it's like like when I walked in, when I when when you played Super, yeah, you know, everyone's in like you had like certain amount of uniform you got to wear. It's very strict. You wear suits after the game to the aftermatch function. Like it's, do you know what I mean? So you got to wear the right kit in training. So everyone's strict about like what socks you wear, what what t-shirts, what like. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was a bit like that. When I got to when I got to Bath, I was so strict from that coming from the Reds and coming from Super Rugby. It was almost like if someone didn't wear the right kit, no one really, no one got pulled up on it as much. If that makes sense. Yes, yeah. I so it's a bit more relaxed. And because it was like relaxed, everyone, the, the feeling amongst the boys, it was like, oh no, this is how it is. Where my super rugby Ben Tapwa would have been, you're not respecting the uniform, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. So yeah, it, was quite a, it, was, it was quite a step back in terms of like, how, and like, I, and I loved it. Like, just in terms of that, it was just like, everything else just followed through. So like, some more relaxed rugby, you have like a, yeah. yeah, like in club rugby, you have like a, race after the thing in the prim you have a boat race and I'm just like that's why you only did this back at club like we never did this as super- well you did but you only did it amongst in-house yes yeah you wouldn't do it in front of other people but at, at, at the prim like they just do it after the games and all that stuff so it was actually quite that's what I mean by quite relaxing and I guess it's such a long season too they 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 time they, they time everything if that makes sense so like some, sometimes if you lose in the first few rounds in the prim you can kind of make it back because, and now we're experiencing it now. You can make it back towards the end of the year of the season. I guess in Super Rugby, if you lost the first few rounds, it's quite harder to try and make it up. It's such a short season. Yeah, very, very different competition. So, so those, yeah, and and it's those those are the kind of lessons that I kind of learned when I was over there in terms of just in terms of like you can still be relaxed and still play good rugby. You can still be. You can be strict in terms of like uniforms and all that stuff, but if you perform on Saturday, that's what counts. I'm not saying that's that's yeah, it's kind of there's a there's a bigger goal towards what uniform you should wear on the day and, and all that stuff. So with, yeah, with, so those those are the kind of different things that yeah, experience in the prem. So prem super rugby URC Heineken Cup. Which one would you rank as the toughest competition? Oh gosh. Oh. Quite tough to it's quite tough to say because they've all got their own challenges. Like I guess in Super Rugby you had the challenges of the travel and that's the same mm-hmm. with the URC. The, the the where you're you're asked to perform at the same level while being well with with the day of travel. Yeah. 
and in the prem because you've got none of that that's why that's why it's so hard as well because because you've got no travel and no fatigue or whatever it is now the competition's even more i guess it's even more tougher to try and win because everyone's firing on all cylinders there's there's no there's no like, the last team can beat the top four team does that make sense like, yes yeah it's, it's much it's closer yeah. up and now so yeah so that's yeah i i, I can't i can't put can't a pick one who's one two or three because they've all everyone's got their challenges and yeah. in, in what and what in, in how you have to perform if you you can't pick a competition yeah. but i am going to ask you to pick something different than Ben. We just spoke about how important the Bry culture is in South Africa. So I have to ask you, who in the Sharks team has the best Bry skills? Oh putting you on the spot there. Oh, that's tough. Probably it's it's probably a thing between Ruan, Ruan and Rensburg or and Sia. Okay. Sia, okay. That's yeah. 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 I, I would have I would have no, expected yeah. like a and an ear button. He hasn't invited me over his house. Don't know why. Poor form from me <laughs> from there. <laughs> no. Ben, so I think you, you briefly mentioned about some of the differences between the competitions. You couldn't pick the tougher of all the competitions, but I think you're in a unique position having played Super Rugby, having played over in the UK, having come to South Africa. And I'm just going to ask you this question. What do you think South Africans gain having moved away from say super rugby and into the urc i suppose yeah. you alluded briefly to it the guys are perhaps a little bit more fresh because there's not that across time zone travel so the competition is perhaps on a specific day a lot more guys are fresh but what do you think we as south africans might gain it is a bit of a biased question of course i think i think i think i guess from my perspective in terms of the south african teams i guess what they could gain is just getting a snippet of what Northern Hemisphere rugby is like. And what I mean by that is that there's there's more than one way. What I learned as well is that there's more than one way to win. So I was lucky enough to win a Super Rugby title in 2011. And basically it was running rugby. Yeah. And then you see, and now now you've now I've come over to the Northern Hemisphere. Well, sorry, I played in, in, the, Norm, in the Northern Hemisphere and it was all you couldn't really do that style, that running rugby in Northern Hemisphere because the weather didn't allow it. Yeah. So what I guess I guess what the South African teams they can benefit is you have to be kind of good at it's almost like a jack of all trades too. So you kind of have to be good mm-hmm. at your running rugby too when it's running rugby, but you also sometimes and it's not pretty to watch, but you have to win ugly. In terms of what I mean by ugly is like you have to win by scrum penalties. Okay, we're going to go for three points. We can't play this running rugby. And it's all about momentum. Like sometimes you have to more to get a penalty. You kick out more to penalty. Okay, we're going to go for three points again. So it's almost like you're playing because at the end of the day, because our first game's in October and the last game's in May, uh, if you lose a few, and this is what I learned in the UK as well, if you lose a few at the start, you can make it up at the end, but no one really remembers what happens in the in the first part of the, the season because it's such a long season. So all they all they all they worry about is your wins. Do you know what I mean? So if you if you won three nil, six nil, nine nil, people will be like, "That's you know, that's not the best game to watch." And blah blah blah. But when it comes to May, when it comes to April, May, they they've forgotten what you won three six nine nil or whatever it was. So it's just trying to learn and adapt to how 
different rugby has been played, how, how you can win, you find a different way to win instead of scoring a try from your own 22. Sometimes you have to go kick penalty, kick penalty, okay, kick ball, try. And it, it takes a lot out of it, but just finding just finding a different way. And also, I guess the boys have, have an experience, or they have now, just experienced the 4G pitches as well and and, and kind of being introduced to that because – uh, it's very, it's not normal in South Africa and it's not normal in Australia to have, have those sort of pitches. So being introduced to 4G pitches and finding another way to win, I think is from the top of my head, just a couple of points on, on how the South African teams can, can benefit. Help, help them adapt a little bit, yeah. And I mean, you're speaking of, of winning the Super Rugby when I was preparing for the pod, I was actually quite surprised to see that you made your debut against the Crusaders and then ultimately won Super Rugby title against them as well, which is really impressive. And I remember that game. Uh, we were watching it here at the Dross. We used to go there for a breakfast special. It was a very special win for you guys in the Reds, eh? No, yeah, that was uh, no, yeah, that was a very special year. I think, I think, I think with 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 Australia, I think I, with with Australian rugby back then, it was quite it was quite cool to be, I guess, to be a part of. And the thing with Australian sports is because I don't know if you. There's, there's a thing, there's Aussie rules there, there's Aussie four league, there's yeah. Aussie rules, there's cricket, there's soccer, there's netball, there's social, and I think that's where they're very young, because all those sports were so professional, then rugby union, and then what happens is, and even rugby league, like rugby league's quite quite big in, in Australia, so some of the coaches, they go into other sports, and they kind of pick different coaches' brains, and they see how their team meeting runs, and they see what their program's like, and then I guess they come back to they will come back to rugby union and they will like just get a few pointers on what, what worked. Like they Reds coaches wouldn't necessarily go to the Waratahs in Sydney and see how they do it. Obviously, because it's direct competition, but it's never, I guess you, you, you never go to the same sport, even if it was a lower league yeah. a, a rugby union or they came to us. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's especially, I think that's what's the, I guess what the cool thing is about Australia, that there's different sports mm-hmm. where, they're very professional, and you can see how why it's so only well, why it's so successful in Australia. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but that's that's that that was kind of 2011, 12, 13 years ago now. But we had like a a lot of a lot of a lot of people in that in that team that came through the school system, if that makes sense. So like the Reds are from Queensland, so there was a lot of boys when we won it in 2011. I think there was like maybe. I would say more than half of the boys that come through the Queensland school system, which was cool. And the average age was kind of 20, 23, 24 at that stage. So we all been together. We all knew, we all knew them. We, we all knew each other and we all knew like what school he went to. Yeah, and we so go back, we all played together as Queensland school boys. And so every, the, the camaraderie was kind of already there. Yeah. That, that team synergy is from there. It. it wasn't in from 2000. Yeah. yeah going to ask Ben so talking about the Aussie Aussie sports in general and specifically the rugby we've seen now in recent weeks Eddie Jones has been returned to Australia I think it's quite a blunder from the RFU Ronnie and I have discussed it quite a lot on the pod uh, we had Matt Proudford on here last week we had a chat with it about him but I mean what are you, what are your thoughts on on Eddie going back there and you know have you spoken to any of the boys are they happy about it concerned about it you know he's... Um, no look I haven't I haven't, I haven't spoken to any other boys, but just I think it was yeah. I do feel for Dave Rennie because I I thought the boys w- when Dave Rennie was in charge and I caught up with some of the boys when I went back to Oz, like they loved him. They loved the fact mm. 
he was bringing kind of culture to the to the team. And what I mean by that is that it's not just Australians in the in the Wallabies. There's Samoans, there's Tongans, there's Fijians, and yeah, and so he kind of embraced that. Yeah, he embraced that, and he, I guess, he got those nationalities to actually teach a song to the to the team, just so everyone kind of knew what they were on about. And so it was just a bit. I guess the boys just enjoyed that part of it. To be honest, they, they also like he was pretty unlucky with all the injuries that that's come his way, and probably the results yeah. might have changed that if they're all fit. But rugby's a brutal sport, isn't it? Yeah. One of yeah, it's it. I do, I do feel sorry for, I do feel sorry for Dave, but I also that's 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 how sometimes that's that's just life in terms of how it works out. But it's been a bit crazy to watch because you've seen England change head coaches, you've seen Wales change head coaches, the Wallabies, and now even Fiji. I see Fiji's made a, a reach out to Bernard Laporte to come there. So, I mean, in a World Cup, yeah, that's a big, big change, and I think. I don't know. I can imagine Eddie's quite keen to get revenge on England if they the Wallabies meet them in a quarterfinal. But actually, what you've said is right. Dave Rennie, yeah. no one really talks about how he was sort of pushed out. And he yeah. wasn't He wasn't doing badly under the circumstances with all no. the injuries that he had. 100%. And I think that's that's probably the most, you know, that's probably the most disappointing thing. But I don't know if, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that the coaching industry so it's i don't know if it was like a trend that all of a sudden all the coaches are getting fired and then they just follow that trend but yeah it is it is it is quite it is quite disappointing but i guess it's an opportunity for Eddie to, to pounce on and yeah i to be honest i actually i think um i actually think that rusty might have changed the he might have changed the game in terms of yes he came 18 months but now they're pushing it if they can do it nine months if anyone anyone can win it in nine it's true because it used to be a big focus on that four-year cycle, you know, between World Cups and then Rossi did it. But England are going to have maybe six, seven games to get this all sorted. I think that's a tough ask for any coach to take on. Yeah, no, and but even then, like Australia, I've only got like maybe four. Oh, actually, no, they've got the, they've got some games of rugby championship. I just saw. yeah, no, you're right. I think I think it'll be obviously Eddie's got a good record in World Cups, but. He's also had time to try and get that right. Where I think this is where I think I think England got it wrong by maybe letting him go. Because yeah, but 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 also the thing is, I, I don't think Eddie saw the Six Nations as a, we must win it. I think no. he maybe saw it as a, a stepping stone towards a World Cup because that's probably the main thing in his in his mind. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you know the people of England and all that. They see the Six Nations as sometimes some people even see the Six Nations as bigger than the World Cup just because it's tradition and yeah. and whatnot. It's because yeah. they really win the World Cup. So we just we just had to throw throw some shade to our some of our listeners there. <laughs> but then then I think just the last one from me, looking at the World Cup, who do you think the top four teams are gonna be? Oh gosh. I reckon I reckon it will be top four will be South Africa, South Africa, France. I'm gonna chuck the Aussies in there. Aussies and yeah. Aussies and Ireland. Interestingly enough, the only change I have from you there is I'm expecting Fiji to make the semi-finals this year. I think that would be quite nice, and they they have the road to it, so that would be incredible to see one of the Pacific Island nations make it. Yeah, the Pacific. Yeah, but like you said, they just changed coaches. <laughs> I don't know. Also <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, the only reason why I think like because with with France, it will be the home nation always steps up. 
and they've got the the, the backing and and I guess with, with with the Springboks, it's hard it's hard for them not to be in a, in my opinion. But yeah, it'll be interesting with uh, it'll be interesting with with the other teams. And and this is this is probably the first World Cup where you can't pick a winner if that makes sense. Like you you're never gonna, but you kind of know in the in 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 the World Cup leaning who who's who's gonna be the favorite if that makes sense. So this will be interesting. I think it'll be a few upsets in this World Cup. You know, even watching the Six Nations last night, that Ireland versus France game was unbelievably tight. And then Scotland beating Wales, Scotland, South Africa, Ireland all in one pool. It makes for a very tight competition. Yeah, that's, I think, uh, whoever comes, whoever gets out of that pool, the top two, would, would, would definitely be in, in like the final. I don't know if they'll win it, but mm-hmm. I, they'll be in the final because that's a tough pool to, to get out of. Yeah. So Ben, this is just my last question, and it's a bit of a fun one. I just uh, we asked Butter who the uh, who which forward in the Sharks team thinks they're the best kicker, but I'll, I'll pose this a little bit different to you, Ben. Uh, who's the biggest? Who's the biggest troublemaker in the Sharks team? Uh, who's the biggest troublemaker? The biggest troublemaker. What do you mean by troublemaker? <laughs> just the joker, <laughs> the joker in the team, hey? Uh, okay. Oh. There's a few. There's we're, a few we're, wait, uh, we're waiting for somebody to say uh, Bongia Bonambi is a bit of a troublemaker. We suspect on this side. No, he's he's actually no, he's actually he's actually pretty chill. Uh, is it Bongi Bongi's Bongi? Nah, he's pretty chill. Like I think no, nah, yeah, the troublemaker. Oh gosh, if, so- if you want to go team Jacob, that is, I'll go Vernacoff. <laughs> really? Actually, that troublemaker that- just with Jacob. That makes absolute sense, actually, now that you say that. I'm surprised he didn't he, rattle off the scrum wild. hogs. I was expecting it he to be wild. Grant Williams and Jaden and Cameron and all of them. You know, the nines are always full of lip. You know, they always trip. See, but the thing is, they're always chirpy on the field. They're not They're not really chirpy at training, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Oh, ben. Yeah. So they're very, yeah, yeah. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us. And we look forward to the rest of your guys' seasons. Good luck for your game against the Lions this yeah. weekend. No dramas. Thanks, guys, for having me. Have a good one. Champion, you Thanks, too. Ben. Cheers. Lacquer, Ronnie. That was a lacquer chat we had there with Ben. Just a couple of talking points then before we end off the episode. Spoo and Corsi, he's back for the Bulls, so we might be seeing him start against the Stormers this weekend. And his return coincides with Jake White's return after having undergone emergency surgery. So the Bulls will be looking to bounce back after a recent spate of poor results. Yeah, I think uh, having the coach back, having someone like Spur back is going to bolster their strengths, their, their depth a bit and their, and their strengths. They're going to play to their strengths again. And I think we can expect a little bit of uh, better performance coming you know, in the URC rounds to come. Yeah, I think the Bulls will be happy Spoo's back as well because they're missing the likes of Moody and Kirkley Orens as they're on the Springbok race period. So Spoo will really bolster their their experience and their physicality out wide. And then, Ronnie, do you want to take us through this Rassi Erasmus and Nick Mallet feud? Yeah, so look, I, I don't, I'm not very active on Twitter and I've got a very private account on Twitter. I like to just follow some of the noteworthy people around the world, and Russi's obviously one of them. I think Russi's the only one I have where I get a little notification when he puts something else out. And over the weekend, he's put something out, and he's taken exception to Nick Mallet's comments from a super sports show. He was a little bit disappointed with what Nick Mallet said, and, and he actually called Nick Mallet out. Whether it was the right platform to do, I, 
don't know. So he took exception to the fact that Nick Mallet said that Rusty wasn't doing his job, and he 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 called him out and said, you know, quite frankly, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course, Nick Mallet, you you have no idea what a director of rugby does. And he mentioned the fact that they've got a program for certain rugby players to come through the ranks, and he doesn't himself appoint coaches, so that's not part of his mandate. And uh, he called Nick Mallet out. So look. We've obviously spoken about whether Rassi should be using the Twitter medium as a, as a way of communicating with the public. You know, perhaps he should have called Nick Mallard out in, in private and told him what he, what he really thought rather than make it such a public affair. But he has gone out to Twitter and there's a part of me that's very grateful for Rassi's absolute honesty, right? So Rassi isn't, doesn't shy away from, from speaking his mind and, and really conveying what, how he really feels. And he took exception and, you know, for that, I can be sort of proud of, of him for, for doing, but I also enjoy Nick Mallet and I feel like Nick Mallet was a little bit hard done by, by Rassi's commentary. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different to be chirping Nick Mallet than it is to cause contra- controversy with world rugby. But you always have to ask, you know, is social media the, the correct platform for this? But I guess Nick Mallet called Rassi out on a pl- public platform. So tit for tat, maybe in that regard. Yeah, I didn't see it that way, um, but I, I see what you're, what you're saying, and I actually do agree with you, Nick Mallet. Look, obviously, they're starved for content, or they, they're looking for content on these shows as well, so they called him out, so they called Rassi out. Nick Mallet has an opinion, and that's fine. Everyone's allowed an opinion. Yeah, Rassi, thanks for shedding a little bit more light in terms of what your, your mandate is. Yeah, for sure. Always got to enjoy a good Rassi tweet, though, and how it gets everyone a Twitter. <laughs> Had to throw that joke in there. And then Ronnie... Is that a joke? Yeah, it was. It was a poor joke, but I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. And then Ronnie, Rugby That Rocks is back now, starting on Monday the 20th of Feb. So that's right around the corner. UP Tux, Lacquer Tux of Knicks, hosting Shimless. That's at 5 o'clock. There's other big games going on. Marty's at home to UCT Ikees. We're rooting for Matt and his team in that one. And then you've got UJ versus the Eagles. And CUT versus Vitz. So some big fixtures there on Monday. It's going to be lacquer to watch that. And hopefully Tux can pull one through as well. It would be great to see our boys get the season off to a good start. Yeah, we're not biased at all, right? But we do like the Sharks. We do like uh, Tux of Nux. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tux of Nux. It's, it's, it's in the name, guys. And Ronnie, to end off the episode, we got a question this week from Peter Denny's. And he says here, it's quite hard keeping track of when which competition is on. Is there any chance that we will see a global calendar after the World Cup? And do you think it could work? So I'm going to start by answering Peter here. I do not think we're going to see a global calendar because it would require everyone agreeing to shifts in schedules and and all of that. And we've learned from the previous attempt at this that nations don't want to all be on equal footing. Everyone wants to have the last say. I think it's a bit difficult. Do I think it could work? Yes. I think at some point it's going to have to work if the game's going to continue. You can't have these long seasons like we have at the moment. Everything needs to get aligned at some point. What do you say, Ronnie? I agree with you that it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. We had our opportunity with with COVID. We had a complete global shutdown take place and we had an opportunity to, to really realign all the calendars and, and we didn't use our opportunity and what came out in the media back then was that you know not everyone could agree on the calendar i don't know if they how much effort they really put into it whether that was just people talking in the media but 
didn't happen. I think it's also difficult to have because when do you when do you host your your top competitions then? You know, when does that happen? Does it happen in the northern hemisphere summer and the southern hemisphere winter? Or is it the other way around? Or do you cut it on the middle and do it in spring and autumn? How, how does that actually work? Traditionally, rugby's never been a summer sport here in here in South Africa because it's too bloody hot. And, and we saw during the rainy season that some of the games got called off because of lightning and, and whatnot. You know, there's a reason they were playing in winter down here. It's it's just suits the playing conditions perhaps a little bit better. But with that said, the game's obviously evolving. And, you know, South Africa is almost playing a year a year-long calendar. So whether other teams, other nations also adopt that and we see bigger squads going forward and more rotation of players, you know, let's let's see what happens. Yeah, we're gonna have to see how how that pans out, but I definitely don't see it coming in the next four-year cycle. And you know, at the end of the day, the question simply is where does the compromise come? Who's willing to compromise and give up their playing window to adapt to a new one? And yeah, I just don't see it happening in the short term. Contracts are decided upon and in, in you're, you're, a, you're a lawyer you're a learned man with many leather-bound books in your bookshelf and and you can tell me that some of these contracts are five ten years in the future so to to align a global calendar you'd have to move around competitions and there's there's you know tv rights and contracts and you know all these things are booked up well in advance so cancel all those contracts i think there's not enough lawyers in you know in this part of the world to sort something out like that yeah, you're right. It extends far past just the boardroom decision. It's the broadcast deals, the sponsorships, all of it, playing contracts. It's it's a big, big undertaking to change something like that. But yeah, Peter, maybe you can drop us your comment as well with what you think it or how it could work. I'd be interested to find that out from you. But also don't forget to get in touch with us. You get yourself some punted merch. And yeah, guys, keep those questions coming. We've really enjoyed each one that's come in so far. Yeah, we're looking forward to the one for next week. Catch you all back here next okay. week, Wednesday. Okay, everybody.